This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. So, um, some of you, many of you know um, Dr. Tom Fizemeyer, and uh, been a part of Gateway for a few years now, and you and your good wife, Donna, was helping to lead worship, worship last week, so um, invited um, Tom to help teach today or I, actually you're going to be doing most of the teaching i'm going to ask you the questions you know because i go like he's the smart tom yeah. so dr tom was dean of faculty at gordon conwell and retired there just a few years ago two, two years two, ago well, two and a half a little yeah. two and a half years yeah. ago he's written a book got another one in working on it working on it so yeah. it's just great to have you guys apart and you're in for a treat <laughs> this morning so I encourage you, like, get, a, get, get your notes out or, or whatever, um, and on version, you can follow along there as well. But So we're in this series called Imagine. And so if you've been following, you've been tracking on the first Sunday, I just asked you to imagine what eternity will be like, because there are those who believe, right, that when this, this life is over, this physical world is over, that is it. And, and I got thinking about that, and, I, and probably you did too, and I go like, well, who wants that? <laughs> right? So we just imagine what would eternity, what will eternity look like because we are all going to spend eternity somewhere. And then we talked about peace. So just imagine being able to live at peace regardless of the situation or the circumstance that you're in. And we can be at peace. And Paul says it goes like beyond our, uh, our understanding. So in this series, Tom, um, imagine, do you think God has an imagination? I mean, what, what kind of question is that, right? Oh, so, yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Think about the word image for a minute. And we, the Bible says, are created in the what? In the image, yeah. image of God. So automatically God has an imagination. He imagined you and he imagined me. That was a strange one, but he did. He did. So he imagined all of us. So God has a bigger, wider imagination than anyone has. Uh, He is the the origin of imagination. And we're going to talk a little bit about what God is imagining in the making of his son Jesus, in 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 the creation of the Messiah King. We're going to talk about what that looks like, and we're going to talk about the implications of um, his imagining a new humanity in his son. Yeah, so it's, you know, so it's probably easy for, for most of us, easier to kind of look into creation and so on and uh, see all that God created. Um, of course, we go back into the beginning, right? Back in the book of Genesis, God in his imagination just created um, so much and so we can actually physically see, right? And so that's, that may be easier for us than, than what we're talking about now in terms of, of, you know, he came into the world, but how he came into the world can be a little bit more for, you know, humans to grasp, yeah. right? So when you talk about the, you know, God coming and his, his imagination, his, his coming to us. Yeah. So, so as, as we come into this, I, I just want to, us to, to read a text. I'll read it, but for you to read it as well. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and it's one of those really majestic, huge 
cosmic text of scripture that shows us so much of what God is doing in the incarnation, which is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's read this text and just this is kind of serve as kind of a backdrop for everything that Tom and I are okay. gonna talk about this morning. So here are these words then. Uh, Paul writes, speaking of Jesus, speaking of Christ, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on heaven or things on the earth, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now just think about the scope of that passage for a moment. It's huge, it's enormous. So what I wanna have us think about this morning is thinking about the birth of Jesus. What are the implications of his birth? What flows out of it? What's the fruit of that? And I wanna suggest to you three things this morning. And the first one is that the birth of Jesus brings a rebirth to human nature. Okay. So as we get into that and we begin to think about that and talk about that, um, there's, a, there's a quote that comes to mind here that I think is, is really rather, uh, rather staggering. It comes from a Scottish theologian. His name is T.F. Torrance. Torrance writes, God restores man to himself by giving himself to a man in such a way as to assume human nature and existence into oneness with himself. He condescends to enter into our human nature and so elevates it into union with his own divine nature. That is what took place in the incarnation of the word in the midst of Israel, in the midst of mankind. Imagine, if you will, the recasting of human nature which happens in Jesus. And there's a reason why this is essential and it has to happen. We know that Adam uh, was created by God and fell. He and Eve collapsed in the garden, if you will, as human beings. Think of it as a big balloon that just goes <laughs> And that's the state of their situation at the end of Genesis 3. And what God does is he says, look, I've got to recast this human being. This is not fixable in its current form. And think of it as a blacksmith who takes a huge piece of iron and shoves it into a furnace and just watches this thing heat. And if you watch a piece of iron in the furnace, what you notice is it begins to take on the nature of the fire. And what God is doing is he's taking his own deity, his own divine nature, and he's putting it next to human nature and remolding it. In other words, Jesus is humanity's reboot, humanity's second chance. And it's this infusion of the divine nature into Jesus as the son 
that creates this new humanity. You know, we, we talk a lot in the church about the fact that Jesus is God, and yes, he is. But we sometimes forget that Jesus is also a human being. If you want to know what humanity was intended to look like, look at Jesus, because that's where you'll find the imagination, the image of God walking on the earth. If you want to know what God looks like in human form, look at Jesus. If you want to know what a human being looks like under divine care and sovereignty and governance, look at Jesus. Okay, so this is, this is really good. Now, um, the incarnation, right? So I love the uh, balloon. Could you do that again? It went <laughs> there like that. That wasn't quite as good. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. pretty good though. So, and really at that point, all hope yeah. was gone, right? Well, Human hope. Yeah, right. Yeah, good, good qualification. Human hope is gone. Like, so we were broken, so <laughs> yeah. we were born yeah. into a broken world. Yeah. And so God um, devises this plan. Yeah. Maybe not the best way to say it, but Paul says, right, at just the right time. Yeah. At just the right time. So there was this rescue plan. And so um, the rebirth, we'll get the other two in just a second. Yeah. So the incarnation, God sent his son, yeah. right, into the world. In order to? In order to save the world because God loves the world. And the point I want to make yeah. is this is an inside job. Yeah. You know, God isn't tweaking it from the outside. He's actually coming in and redoing it okay. from the inside. Yeah. That's good because he sent his son. Yeah. Here, walked this earth, right? Yeah. Dwelled yeah. amongst us. He shows us how to live as a real true human yeah. being, as the second Adam. Yeah, as the second Adam. So the rebirth of nature. Then, then you shared um, this past week two other rebirths. Yeah. Right. So there's a rebirth of human nature. Yeah. Right. He has come. He's made us new. Yep. And then the second is a rebirth of relationship. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we want to understand is that not only is our nature broken, but our relationships all get broken. Yeah. In the Bible, it's very interesting to me on this point, the word for devil in Greek, which is the language in which the New Testament's written, the word for devil in Greek is diabolos. Hmm. And that word in Greek means literally to throw through. And the image is taking like a hatchet and throwing it through a shingle, and it splits it. Satan, the diabolos, the devil, is a splitter. Hmm. And that's his primary agenda, is to split everything. He wants to split our relationship from God. He wants to split our relationship from ourselves. He wants to split our relationships from each other. And he wants to split our relationship from the creation. And this is the work that he goes about trying to do. And so God comes in, and instead of allowing the splitter to have his way, God is a reconciler. Mm, he restores. He yeah. is one who restores and reconciles all of those relationships. So in Christ, especially through his death on the cross, but beginning in the incarnation, mm. there is this reconciliation of relationship between God and us. And you and I talked about this in the last yeah, hour. Right. While we were yet sinners, Christ, Christ died, died for the unknown. While yeah. we were strangers, while we were enemies, all of this, it's, he doesn't wait for us to get fixed. He comes and he does it. And he fixes our split from him and from ourselves. It's, it's interesting to me, in Luke chapter 15, you have the story of the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. Three things get lost in mm -hmm. Luke 15. One of them, the last one, is the son. 
And remember the story, if you know that story, he goes off into the far country. And there he discovers he's eating pig pods, which is not great food for a Jewish kid. So he says, I'm going home. But the text is very clear. The moment of transition says that he came, and a lot of the translations say to his senses. It's not a good trans translation. What it says in the Greek text is he came to himself. In other words, he remembered who he was as a child of the Father. He remembered who he was. And so he begins the journey and he returns back. But this splitting thing that's going on, Satan is trying to split us from God. Satan is trying to split us from ourselves. And then he, of course, is trying to always split people. And that's the beautiful thing. Paul says that the reconciliation we experience with God translates into a reconciliation with one another. And this is something that I think is really important. If you think about the work of the devil as a splitting work, then the work of the Messiah King is to reconcile. And I would suggest to you that all of the isms that we use are splitter words. They're ways of splitting people apart. Sexism, racism, classism, mm. these are words that are used to split people apart, to fragment human relationships. And what's extraordinary to me is that Jesus comes as the one who undoes the work of the splitter and who brings reconciliation. He brings us back into relationship and he does it through God's own ism. God only has one ism, I think it's baptism. Yeah. And what is baptism but the sacrament of in your tradition, however you understand it, as the beginning of entering into reconciliation. That's the way God operates. God is a unifier, Christ yeah. is a reconciler, and it all happens in this way to overcome and undo the work of the splitter. So our, our relationship is broken, right? Yeah. And God has come to restore that, re restore that. Let's go back to the um, prodigal son for a moment because that's, that's an incredible story that mm -hmm. um, is just so much in there yeah. because there was the point where the son in the story, and you said so well, like he came to his self, to right? Himself. To himself. To himself. There had to be that moment when he just stopped and kind of wondered what, what it could be like. Yeah. What it could be like. He knew what it was like, right? Yeah. Did he? Being away or he, being going home? In a way, yeah, yeah. Well, go in a way, but then also going home. He had to go. Like, I wonder if the father will take me back. Well, yeah, because he yeah. rehearses the story right. before he makes his way home. You right. know, uh, father, you know, I'm sinful in your sight. I'm bad. I'm a he bad guy. I'm head. not worthy yeah. to be your yeah. son. Let me be like one of your hired hands. Remember the story? Yeah. And it's extraordinary. So he gets home and he's, you know, like any kid who's in yeah. trouble, he's rehearsed the, the, the speech and he's ready yeah, to go. Right. And he lays out the speech and his father is looking at him like, no, I don't think so. And he says uh, to his servant, he says, get the ring, put it on his finger, get the sandals, put them on his feet, get the robe and wrap him in the robe for my son was dead and he is alive forevermore. He was lost and he's found. This is a full restoration of relationship between the father and the son. Yeah. So going on between the, the youngest son and the oldest son was this relationship um, but would you call it a relationship? 
Well, I call it a call broken relationship. Bro right, broken. Yeah, which needs reconciliation. For both of them. For both of them. Right. And, and uh, uh, sadly, they both have the same view of their father. Both of them see their father's role with them mm -hmm. as transactional. Yeah. You know, that the younger son says, I screwed up. If I fix it, if I do the right thing, then dad will love me. The older son says, I've already done the right thing, and dad doesn't love me. He's thrown a party for him. But they both view God the same way, or they both view yeah. the Father the yeah. same way, as that this is about a transaction. But Jesus is saying, no, no, this story is really about the prodigal, which means spendthrift, love of the Father. The story really should be called the prodigal father, not the prodigal son. The story is about the spendthrift love of the Father for both of these kids. And in the, the way it works out in the gospel, Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees who are hating the fact that sinners and tax gatherers and prostitutes are coming into the kingdom of God. They are, the Pharisees play the role of the older brother and Jesus is begging them to receive yeah. the younger brother back. Yeah, so let me ask you a question because I think, I wanna probe just a little bit more yeah, into yeah. the story, right? Because it, it, in the whole rebirth of relationships, first the, the broken relationship with God the yeah. Father and then um, with others, um, we sometimes fall into this trap, I, I, I'll call it a trap, yeah. um, in the whole transactional thing, like if I do this, yeah. then God will love me, right? Yeah. So yeah. how does that play out in, in human life? I mean, because we can get there really, really easy, even if we mess it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think there's a tendency for all of us to do this. And this is why, again, the language yeah. of Scripture, uh, Paul, real, very helpful here. He makes it really clear. He <coughs> says over and over, he says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were alienated, Christ died for us. And pulling it back, yeah. uh, Tom, you reminded me in the first hour that at the beginning of the story of the prodigal son, when the son is way off, it says in the, in the passage in Luke that the father was looking for the son. Right. Where's the father's attention? He's looking for the son. What does that tell us about the heart of the father? Yeah. He longs for this reconciliation. He longs for his son to come home. And so when we read that story as children, as parents, as people mm -hmm. in relationship with God, I think what happens is we begin to have a glimpse of the love of God and the fact that it is not conditioned on us. It's, it's a, it's a uh, theologians have a term for this. They call it prevenient grace, yeah. grace which comes before. Okay, they have a term for everything. Um, so, but it's this marvelous grace that just is infused. And, and that's the thing, you see, yeah. we, we, we were recep recipients you know, of I, I love that part of the story with the father watching because I mean, it says so much to us. And I, you know, as a parent, I don't know, I, it's probably too overgeneralization to say every parent's experiences, but our youngest son ran away from home one yeah, day. Yeah. He was gone for about two hours. And then he, I think he was getting hungry or something, he wanted to come back or, or whatever. But um, in the story, that wasn't the case. Well, it was like a two-hour trip, it, you know, it was an extended yeah, yeah, period, yeah, right? Yeah. But the picture I get is the father <laughs> really being there every day, just watching, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting until he came to a census and came on back. And so I have this picture of, of God, the creator, yeah. so, so badly. Um, wanting um, mankind to reconcile with him that he's just waiting. 
you know. Yeah. And so, way, and, yeah. and in the waiting, what happens? Yeah. Well, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God yeah. with us, and ransom captive Israel. And so we begin to have this longing to return. And what we discover is not a God who's going, huh, well, we need to talk, right. son. No, this is a father whose arms are wide open. Yeah, and think about what happened with, with the, um, the young son. Like, <clears throat> he took his part of the inheritance, like, and he spent it all. I mean, like, I think he did, went as far away as he could. Yeah. Spent it all, um, you know, ended up where he, where he ended up. And he's got to be thinking, like you said, he kind of rehearsed it. You know, will, will, he, will he take me? Or have I... Have I gone so far yeah. that there's no chance? Yeah. Now, I think that thought can enter into our minds sometime, right? I've done so much wrong, yeah. right? Am I too far gone for the Father to love me? And I would, you know? I would say that if you think that way and, you, and you, you, know, you think you're being humble, that you're actually being arrogant. Yeah. And the reason is, is it's a false humility. To say my sin is greater than God's grace is not only untrue, it's false humility. Yeah, yeah. Nothing is greater so than God's grace. So 1 Corinthians, huh? Yeah. Chapter yeah. 5. Yeah, so um, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So here you have it. It's in Christ that the reconciliation between God and the world happens. Christ makes it happen through his death on the cross. And then also through and in Christ, that reconciliation spreads to the world. Yeah. And, I, and I've, I've said it this way. If you've been around Gateway for um, um, any length of time, I, I've said this like, like God died, sent his son for the whole world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, but he did so one person at a time. So it's very personal, yeah. right? He died for you and he died for me. Each person yeah. is invited home. In, in, invited home, yeah. exactly. So there's the rebirth of... Yep, first of all, we have the rebirth of human nature, then we have the rebirth of relationships, and, and lastly, then, this, this is sort of mind-blowing, but is the rebirth of all creation. Yeah. The rebirth of the creation itself. And there's a great quote uh, from a, uh, a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, and he says this, the hope of Israel expressed variously in the Torah, prophets, and Psalms was not for, re for a rescue operation that would snatch Israel or humans or the faithful from the world, but a rescue operation that would be for the world. An operation through which redeemed humans would play once more the role for which they were designed. It was the hope for a renewed world in which justice and mercy would reign forever. Jesus was explaining not that this hope had been abandoned in favor of a saved souls going to heaven, but that this hope for the new creation had been fulfilled in a shockingly unexpected way. And of course, that way was the cross. Yeah. But it begins in the incarnation. Yeah. So when we talk about Jesus being uh, bearing a new human nature, recast, reforged for its original purpose, that extends to the creation itself. And so the idea is that now what's happened is that heaven which is the place where God is, has overlapped the earth 
and connected to it. Heaven has come upon the earth. You read the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's all about the kingdom having come. You know in the Lord's prayer, what does Jesus say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what? On earth. On earth, so the idea is not that we're going somewhere else, it's rather that heaven is coming and, and bringing with it new creation with new creatures in the midst of it. It's an astonishing vision and you see that in the Old Testament in Isaiah 65, then you see it in um, Revelation 21 and the, the cool word, actually Jesus uses this, or uses this word in Matthew 19, the word is the restoration of all things. He talks about the palagenesis and this is what's cool. This is a compound word. Palag in Greek means again, genesis means beginning like Genesis, got it? So what's happening in the restoration of all things? It's a reboot of the whole Genesis project yeah. with Christ at the center. Well, we have this, this thinking sometimes that heaven is out, right. it's out there, yeah. right? Yeah. He's going to take us somewhere yeah. and the poor souls are going to be left here. Yeah. And so there's a, yeah. a, a, an example of this yeah. as people think about it in, I think it's 2 Thessalonians, yeah. where it says, Paul says, we will go to meet the Lord in the air. And people think, okay, so I'm going to go up right. in the air, I'm going to meet Jesus, and he's going to take me to heaven. It's backwards. It's backwards. What happens is in the ancient world, when the king emerges victorious and he comes to his city, his people go out to meet him, and then they escort him into his kingdom. Earth is the kingdom where heaven is now becoming more and more and more the reality. God isn't blowing off the earth, he isn't chucking it, he isn't saying the heck with it. He's renewing the whole creation. And Jesus as the new one is at the center of that whole renewal. It's an astonishing project that God is up to here in the incarnation of Jesus. Yeah, and so sometimes we think, okay, we celebrate his coming into the world and then he left, yeah. and here we are, right? right? But, but that's the wrong thinking. Yeah, so what, what right. does Jesus say? I will never leave you nor forsake, forsake you. Well, you how right. do we know? He said, I'm giving you my spirit. And when I do return bodily, Christ comes back. He's coming back to his people. He, he already dwells in us. So we're tabernacles, so, right? So we're, we're tabernacles. Yeah. He returns to his own, his own tabernacle. And you see that language in Scripture in John uh, 1.14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lousy translation. The real word skene there in Greek means the word became flesh and made his tabernacle with mm -hmm. us. What's the tabernacle? What's the temple? It's the house of God. It's the place where God lives. God lives in us. And Christ returns to his house. Okay, so what's, what does living in that reality mean? for all of us and listening right here because you know we're, we're in life yeah we're faith but what does it really mean then that he tabernacles in, in us that he dwells here that yeah. he didn't leave yeah i mean he ascended yeah but yeah so what does it mean to say then that christ lives in me if anyone is in christ paul says he or she is a new, new creation. creation right old things have passed away new things have come. I have been crucified with Christ. Not only do I not live, Christ lives in me and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The point is, it's all a new life and it's Holy Spirit infused and it's a new reality that we get to live in and we don't have to live in the old way anymore. We don't have to. 
We have a new power of life within us, the very spirit of Jesus himself that has brought us into this new life and we get to live as ambassadors of a new kingdom yeah. right here on the earth. So bring it down, right down to where we are right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here or we're sitting here and um, we're just walking through a challenging time. Yeah. It feels like God is sometimes distant, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's human yeah. nature, oh, yeah. human thinking. Yeah. But the reality is that he is with us right now. In, he is in all and he is over all. Yeah. So regardless of what a person might be going through. So the, the meaning, right, of Emmanuel is God with us. And let me give you a, just, this is just last week. So I had a conversation with a friend last week who's just retired and he's not sure what he's kind of spinning around and trying to figure out what retirement means. Jesus is with him in that process. Yeah. Jesus is in somewhere else. Jesus is with him, Emmanuel, God with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have a friend who I found out from last week, just a dear friend, and she has an inch and a half aneurysm in her brain. Hmm. Where is God? Right there, right with her, right next to her, right inside of her. God is with her. I have another guy that I was talking to, a young man. He's, well, he's not that young. He's 40, but he's kind of in a vocational crisis, and he's not sure what he's supposed to do. Where is God? Right there. God with us. Emmanuel. God present with us. No matter where you are, what problems you have right now, today, God isn't somewhere else. God is present with you. Emmanuel. That's what the incarnation means. It, you, it will never be otherwise now. From the moment of the incarnation forward, it will never go back. God with you. That's what it means that Jesus came at Christmas. And he never leaves. And he never leaves. He never leaves. Yeah. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Tom to pray too. I'm going to pray for those of you um, who perhaps have never crossed the line of faith. Now, I'll ever make any assumptions that we're all followers of Jesus, but where are you today? So maybe in person here or maybe online. And I've, I've, again, I've, I've said it this way, there are no magic words, right? <laughs> you kind of line up the words just right. If you mess it up, it doesn't work. No, it's just saying from a heart, I believe and I trust in you. And, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and, he, and just, and he for, for, forgives us our sins. And he brings us into this brand new relationship, yeah. right, that yeah. was broken, yeah. right? Like what you described. Yeah. And with it, all yeah. of the power of his spirit comes. In the power of his spirit, because then he indwells, yeah, yeah. right? He's within us. And then he walks with us. So I'm, I'm going to pray, or maybe, maybe you've drifted, and, and in this moment, you know, I'm just, I'm that son, right? I'm that son, and I'm, I'm coming back. Yeah. And then Tom's going to pray um, that we would just be reminded, because there are some of us right now that are facing yeah. Yeah. some stuff, like yeah. what you described. Yeah. And would you just pray that we would be reminded that it's not a little baby in a cradle, right? It's Jesus who has come into the world, tabernacles yeah. within us, and is with us and walks with us. And we can, we can live in peace regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So can we stand together and uh, invite you just to pray with us this morning? And maybe as I pray, um, you're going to remember a friend someone who may be far from Jesus, and you're just going to pray along with me that they would come to know um, the cliche, the reason for this season is Jesus. So Father, I thank you that we can come to you today as, as children, um, just 
trusting in you and believing in you. And I'm so thankful um, that into our broken world, you came to restore a relationship with the Father. And you just said if we would trust in you and we would believe in you, if we would just confess our need for you, God, you would, you would restore us. And so I pray that that would happen right now. And if you're here in person or online, it's just a prayer that says, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I confess my need for you. I confess my sins to you. I trust in you and invite you into my life. And if you just lift those words um, from your heart, it does make you, as Dr. Tom mentioned, a brand new creation, and you'll never walk alone. And Father, I, I think of the promises of Scripture in Jesus' uh, your words when you said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And God, there are those who are here in the room, there are those online who need rest in their souls. And I pray that you would simply come in a deep way in their spiritual experience, that they would know that no matter where they sit today, that you sit there with them. If it's in tears, if it's in joy, if it's in pain, if it's in sorrow, if it's in lostness, God, that you are present. I pray that people would experience your presence in them even now. And that out of that, their hope would be reborn and that their sense of what happened at Christmas would become so vital and real in the celebration of this year. We ask these things, Lord, uh, both for those who have yet to believe and those who maybe have believed for a long time. And we pray on their behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>